0: Welcome to the Penny and Pops Podcast. He's Spencer Penny Strode. I'm Adam Pop's Papa Giorgio. Considering that Joe Ingles was the only new free agent addition to Orlando, it's been a pretty busy July for Magic fans already. Bowl Bowl, Michael Carter Williams, and Admiral Schofield are gone. Moritz Wagner and Goga Batazzi are back. Our front office is going through some shuffling. And Summer League is ongoing. Let's go. All the way.
1: The 7-6 guy. Here's Lewis turning and he shoots. Yes! With a pull and one touch second oh! Here's Kirk Lewis for the win. like that
0: oh my goodness all right we're recording this monday uh early evening july 10th Uh, a lot has happened in the last two weeks so we'll try and go in order a little bit here so on june 29th the magic exercised the two million dollar team option on goga bataze i was a little surprised penny i don't believe you were correct because i think you predicted we would do this I,
1: I not terribly surprising, but also now surprising that we essentially stood pat with the backup center rotation, right? Yeah, it's
0: it's a risk for sure. So since getting Goga on February 13th, after Indy waved him, I think on February 9th, so Goga played 17 games for us. He started one of them. Uh, He averaged about 15 minutes per game, 5.8 points per game, 5.2 boards, 57.5% field goal shooting, uh, 67% free throw shooting, 16.7% from deep. So he could not hit threes, really. So um, there were some good stretches with Goga, especially towards the end of the season where he's blocking shots. He's rebounding overall well. Showed even some decent passing ability, you know. I think he averaged 1.2 assists per game. But um and he also shot it pretty well in the paint. Uh as a third string center, he's fine. He's again, you got you get him for two million dollars. And he's still fairly young. He's about to turn 24 years old. I hope he plays for Georgia at the FIBA World Cup. I I haven't seen official roster for them yet, but it'd be nice if he played for Georgia, get some get some nice international reps in, but um, yeah. I, again, I I thought that he had a pretty good stint. I, I, I'm i kind of with you the, the way it turned out with how we basically stood pat center wise, where Mo Wagner, who we'll talk about later is going to be the backup center and Goga is going to be the, the third string center again. It, it's a little surprising. We went this route. Um, I like Goga. I, he's got a short fuse temper type thing, which didn't show because he's kind of still in this honeymoon phase with the magic. And we're going to see how he's going to be when he actually starts going through some more adversity, especially if like teams actually look him up and like prepare for him on the scouting report more um, depending on how many minutes he gets. Cause I mean, there's situations where, I mean, last year we were even running like front courts of Goga and, and Mo, you know, when Wendell was out or hurt or whatever. And, you know, Mo Wagner, because he's not like a banger or like a big rebounder, like you're he almost he's almost more of a power forward than a center. But um I mean I like Goga. I don't have any I'm you know, it it, it he did pretty well, all things considered. I I'm just a little surprised that we ended up going this route. Um I don't know if you had any further Goga thoughts for now.
1: Well, the, I, I just kind of building on that, like the hope, the hope is that we're not going to see any more. It's Goga twin tower uh, uh, lineups this season, but you do get the sense that the magic are probably comfortable. Um, it's probably going to be like by co- backup center, by committee, or maybe even by matchup, kind of like, you know, mixing your relief pitching or something. And then, you know, closer by committee uh, where, there, there's probably times where Goga might be the first big off the bench if if next season is anything like last season. So uh, clearly they they see something there, and, and obviously he's uh, you know ingratiating himself into the team. He's out there in Vegas right now and seems to be part of the crew. So that that might count for something as well.
0: We then decline. We also uh, on on June 29th declined the team options on Michael Carter Williams and Admiral Schofield. I thought we'd bring MCW back as a 15th man veteran presence. It could still happen. in, let's say six months from now, depending on what happens with Chuma or Isaac and stuff like that. But look, he's by Carter Williams, he's 31. He only played four games, which were in the final five game stretch of the season. When our season was essentially over, I guess he picked up another NBA paycheck. That was kind of the, the, the nice positive for it for him. Um, and then with Admiral, we did him a favor of moving him from a two-way contract, assigning him to an NBA contract towards the end of last season. So he got a nice pay bump. Admiral's 26, like effort has never been an issue with him. We've always played him out of position. I feel like like when we were, especially when we were short bodies early on in the season, he played center. And then even at power forward, where I feel like that's where he got the majority of his minutes, like he's maybe six foot five and you know we rarely played him at a more natural i guess small forward position admiral played 37 games last season for us 12.2 minutes per game he averaged 4.2 points 1.7 boards 45.1% field goal shooting 32.4 three point percentage shooting 91.3% from the charity stripe so i mean look not bad but we we like nba uh, cba rule wise we couldn't keep admiral around on a two way further and so, you know, he just doesn't have enough tools in my mind to be on the main roster. Look, you know, he he had some pretty solid performances first this season. Like most notably, he won us that second Boston game in December. I wish Admiral good luck. I don't know if we see Admiral on another NBA team. We're gonna see. You know, Euro League would be nice for him, but I you know, if, if, an, if a roster spot opens on this team, it feels like Kevon Harris is going to get it before we we bring Admiral back. But um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is.
1: He had Are a good you surprised run. that he's not out there in Vegas on a summer league roster? I, I think that's kind of telling in and of itself that he's probably uh, headed to Europe, Europe or, or overseas. Yeah. yeah I think that may, uh,
0: yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, if, if he, and I I don't think I've heard anything about him getting signed overseas yet, but um, yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, you know, you would think he would be on on a summer league team, um, but he's not. So who who knows? Maybe maybe he'll get lucky and end up on like a playoff contender that needs like a 14th or 15th guy. You know, there's there's a couple teams out there that need to fill their their rosters, and hell, maybe the Celtics will sign him because I mean, <laughs> it, it's you know, it, it, I'm not going to, you know, cry at night and, you know, with Admiral gone or anything like that, like he's good dude, good, you know, good energy, just not good enough talent wise, or even from a size perspective, even like body length wise, just not, not what this team is about. Um, with MCW, I'm again, I'm surprised. I thought we'd keep him around and look, maybe we'll just resign him again for, a small portion of the, you know, towards the end of this upcoming season, depending on what our roster situation is come like the trade deadline in the winter. But, um, yeah, I, I thought my, because we, you know, although it's just weird that we brought Michael back for a couple months and now we're not going to see him anymore. Like that just kind of threw me off. I don't know any other thoughts
1: you had on Admiral or MCW. No, I mean, I think we, we both kind of saw the writing on the wall for Admiral and, uh, Essentially, your veteran presence in MCW was replaced by Joe Ingalls, more yep. or less. So, you know, that's that's the way the cookie crumbles, so to speak.
0: Who we're gonna talk about it a bit now. So on June 30th, free agency started at 6 p.m. on that Friday. The Joe Ingalls rumor finally came out. I don't know if it was Jake Fisher that first reported, it, I think it was, but it got me excited. Like I've wanted Joe Ingalls on the magic forever. And yeah, I just wanted—I just wanted Joe Ingles on the Magic forever, and it just got me excited that we were finally getting tied to him because I wanted him last year, before the Bucks pounced on him. Like I was on record of wanting Joe Ingles last year, and I didn't mention him because I just assumed Milwaukee would want to keep him. And look in in the morning on June thirtieth, like the Magic also guaranteed the contracts for Markel Fultz and Gary Harris. Folds can't start any contract extension talks until September 30th. Bull wasn't mentioned until 4 30 that afternoon when uh when I think she's still with WKMG. Jamie says she <laughs> tweeted out that the Magic were postponing the the guarantee decision on Bull. You only do this type of postponement if you have someone else in mind, but are kind of hedging if you strike out. We never found out how long that time extension was, but typically they, they go for about a week and you know, we'll t- talk more about bull in a bit, but um, I guess with the free agency rumors or even the Ingalls rumors, like, did you have anyone specifically on your mind? Cause I mean, I had Brooke Lopez on, you know, on, on my mind, but other than that, not really.
1: No, I, I, I mean, I didn't, and it's documented that, that I didn't, uh, I thought that it would be a total stand pat job, but all things considered, I don't, could you could you conceive of a better free agent acquisition than the Joe Ingalls one, just in terms of all the boxes that uh, it checks, at least on paper?
0: Yeah, he, he checks a lot of boxes. Well, we'll get into Ingalls when we get down the timeline a little bit more here. But um, he's he checks off a lot of boxes. I'll leave it at that. So 6 p.m. hit that Friday max juice got a four-year 64 million dollar deal with cleveland Woof. which was way more than the mid-level exception that i thought he would get um because he was rumored to us that's you know I, these guys i'm bringing up they were rumored to us bruce brown there was kind of some murmurs but nothing really serious for us but he got two years 45 million from the pacers uh which is interesting because they have halliburton and Matherin, in like buddy healed still there and like I never expected the magic to go after either Stroess or Brown, but I mean, just there's some big contracts coming out of the gate here, you know, at, at six p.m. basically, and there's some 2016 worries with the, with some of the contracts that were given out, but also the cap is going up significantly, and we're gonna get like 10 cap bumps for the next few years as like we're, we're gonna get this new TV contract coming in in about two years, and yeah. I mean, it seems like, an over, it seems like a lot of money, but when you look at percentage wise, comparing it to seem, you know, team salary caps, it's not absurd, but still four years 64 million for Max juice and two years, 45 million for Bruce Brown is, uh, is hefty. And then Chris Haynes confirmed. Well, here, let me ask this question because D- Brown was never really an yeah. option here. Like, and also I would have never started him. I don't think, um, if you think Jalen Suggs is your guy, you start Jalen Suggs or, but with Max Strews, I like, I'm an anti-heat guy. Um, but even so, like, even if you get a Max Strews at, let's say it would have been the mid-level exception. Cause I, I would have been pissed if we gave him more than that. Um, he's not starting, he's coming off the bench, but I, I'm just not a big Strews guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we, we both kind of have that same fear uh, where Whatever hot shooting streak he may or may not have gone on in Miami, it's like that that just never shows up in Orlando. And then you're stuck with a guy who, you know, is shooting thirty five percent from three or something. i I think very, very briefly, it's important to ask the question about what Cleveland is doing. Uh, they've They've come to terms with the fact that Chetty Osman is essentially now unplayable in meaningful minutes and trying to scramble to get some versatility on the wing, but I don't know that they've accomplished that necessarily.
0: No, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. There's, I think the East as a whole is stronger, but there, there are some questionable moves when you nitpick at like some of these trades, but as a whole, like we've been talking playing or playoffs for the magic, it it's going to be tougher this, this upcoming season. And I mean, I'll get, I'll get into it, but, part of the reason why it's going to be tougher is there's going to be fewer teams tanking. Like there's no Victor Wimbenyama up for grabs for 2024. Like people are saying that the draft class is, is not good. And so because of that, and also because the heat made it to the freaking finals as a play in team, like there's going to be fewer teams tanking. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a slugfest to try and get not just in the play, but in the playoffs, but, um, and then Chris Haynes confirmed that Joe Ingles to the magic uh, that was happening that, as, a, as a free agency signing. Um, I am happy that the magic, again, have someone on the roster that's older than me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a little bit of a way we actually Rolo was the last one where Robin Lopez was older than me. So that, that, that counted, but then before Rolo, it was DJ Augustine.
1: So it's had conceivable kind of, that this might be the last time that it happens. Are you ready for that? It might be. Too, so probably. I need, I
0: need Joe Ingalls to stick around yeah. for four more years. That's, <laughs> that's what I need. So, um, Woj reported that the contract was two years, $22 million. So it's, it's about the mid-level exception. It's officially signed as of now. Um, Ingalls had that great little video with him in Orlando. It looked like he was at the training center. Um, unless we waived Isaac, there was just no more money for a guy like Brooke Lopez at that point. Um, Jeff Zilgit tweeted that the second year of the Ingles deal is a team option. So it's basically a one-year, 1 year $11 dollar deal, uh, unless, you know, uh, unless somebody got the figures wrong. But um, you know, two years, 22 million, but the second year is a team option. Hopefully things go well this season for Ingles to where we would definitely exercise that option, but then it's also like, it's also a trade chip. come, you know, the trade deadline or come with a winter where, you know, maybe you can send Ingles to a contending team for something nice in return. Like there's a lot of flexibility options. Ideally I want it to work out for Joe here. Um, and then I'll, we'll get into further details with, with Ingles on that. Um, Memphis gave Desmond Bain his five-year, $207 million extension. So there went my acquisition dreams, but we're seeing more and more that signing max extensions doesn't mean a trade demand isn't right around the corner. So, you know, hopefully we – well, I'm hoping for some Memphis chaos again that doesn't lead to a good season for them, but we'll see. Um, The Rockets, thankfully, were the team that maxed out Fred VanVleet. I think it was like four years, one hundred twenty some million. Um, so he's getting forty million dollars a season, or sorry, three years, one hundred twenty million. Is it's forty something million dollars a season? Um, those nightmare rumors finally ended for us. It seems <laughs> like we were tied to Fred VanVleet for like a year. Um, the Rockets just splashed a lot of money on him, and then they gave like Dylan Brooks like a four-year, eighty million dollar contract out of nowhere, and the Rockets may not even be a playing team still like that's how much better the West itself as a whole got. Um, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm assuming you're quite glad that Van Vliet did not end up in, in the, with the magic
1: again. I mean, more power to him What a, he's carved out a, a great career and already has the championship ring. He bet on uh,
0: himself and he got paid good for the guy
1: twice. Uh, yeah. yeah. And and paid handsomely this time. Um, it's, it's two things. It's the mileage on his body. And also the way the league is continuing to trend that you would rather not have a shorter stockier lead guard uh, as length continues to be kind of, you know, a premium around the league. Right. Yep.
0: And then uh, Saturday, July 1st, the magic officially signed Anthony black and jet Howard to their rookie deals. Black's going to make around $7 million this season. Chad Howard's going to make around $5 million. Um Then the Damian Lillard stuff just blew up. Like, as Twitter was imploding on itself that 4th of July weekend, um, the Lillard stuff broke out of him wanting out of Portland officially, which that kind of sucked enough because I really wanted – I really want Lillard to be a lifer there. But, you know, Dame saying not only that he wanted to be traded but that Miami is, like, the only team he wanted to go to is kind of a kick in the balls because the heat – again have an opportunity to get better without really deserving to be to be getting that much better um if Lillard lands to them um this is still playing out I think Joe Cronin literally today for the Blazers is like I I'm not in a hurry like if this if this takes months then it's gonna take months and so I'm I'm hoping Portland plays hard ball and it looks like they're gonna play hard ball and I'd rather see Lillard on like the Sixers or something, but, or I mean, I'd rather see Lillard on a West team, but Portland's not going to allow that. So I don't want to see Lillard on Miami. Cause if you put Lillard with Butler and, uh, and bam out of bio, like that's, that's pretty deadly. So, um, and then we'll talk Brooke Lopez here. So Milwaukee would have been in huge trouble had Brooke Lopez left Again, I thought it was bullshit that Houston would be involved for Brook Lopez, but not the Magic. But thankfully, uh, yeah, I mean, if our front office didn't have like, or uh, and our ownership didn't have like an infatuation with Jonathan Isaac, like we we would have waived Isaac, n- not signed Goga. We could have saved like twelve million dollars, which would have had gave us around like twenty two million to work with and then go after Brooke Lopez. But it's a moot point, like. It would have been cool to get him because I, I think you could play him 25 minutes even off the bench. And you could even close games with like Brooke, Wendell, Paolo, Franz, and then Foltz, I guess, in that in that closing five role. And, you know, or if you can find a way to just dump Jonathan Isaac in a trade to a team needing to shed salary before the regular season started instead of just waving GI while bringing back like no more than like $7 million in salary for – let's say a backup power forward, for example, then cool. Like that, that would have been great, but we didn't do any of that. You know, it's all a moot point. Brook stayed in Milwaukee for two years, 48 million. So he got a pretty nice paycheck and, um,
1: Rejoined by his brother too.
0: Yeah. Robin Lopez is with the bucks too. That's actually going to end up being a sneaky signing, I think. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So the twin, the, the twins are reunited again. Um, yeah, I, I, I would Brooke Lopez would have made a lot of sense. It doesn't sound like it ever was close or a thing like, or like, nor, nor were we really, I guess, going after him, even though I thought it would have made a lot of sense, but um. yeah, well, we'll see. But uh, you know, I guess maybe there's that worry that maybe if you, if you bring in Brooke Lopez, it would have, he would have demanded to be a starter or something. And then that, that makes things rough with him and Wendell and, and so forth. So, um, all right, let's talk Mo Wagner here. Cause Woj came out and said that it was a two year, $60 million deal for Mo Wagner. As of this recording, Mo has not been officially announced as a signing yet. So I'm curious as to why it's taking that long. Uh, because I think Joe Ingalls was announced on the 7th of July and then, you know, now it's the 10th and we still haven't heard any, any Mo Wagner stuff yet. So um I'm sure it's going to happen, but you know, he was sitting courtside with his brother and, you know, six teammates, you know, like, uh, like Goga and Suggs and whatnot at our, at our first summer league game in Vegas. Yeah. So it's safe to say most sticking around. So I don't expect any drama there, but um, you know, with. Moe and then Ingles it put our roster at 16 players which meant bad news for most likely Bol bol or even possibly Chuma KK but I say that cuz you know Bol was obviously the easiest money to get off of cuz we we paid nothing to to waive him uh whereas you know Chuma he's making 5 million dollars his final contract year but it really wouldn't have been that hard to either dump trade him or just waive him but this is basically Chuma's last chance from a magic roster perspective, it feels like. Cause he got lucky last year with RJ Hampton being, you know, not sure. having his his option picked up. And so he ended up being the man out. And now Chuma is out there competing for time with Isaac, Jet Howard, Caleb Houston, and Joe Ingalls now, I guess, technically. So um from a mo contract perspective I'm a little surprised we off mo we offered Mo uh eight million I don't hate it because you're because you're you're paying him to be a backup center like I didn't think that was going to be an option going into this this summer but that's what we're doing you know we're in the, we're, we're basically running <laughs> back with these bigs so but you know I was thinking maybe five to seven mil as like a third string Center or power forward but you know look the eight million dollars it's it's a bit more understandable because he's going to be the backup center. Whether it's it's going to work out or not, we're going to find out. But what scares me is we're really heavily relying on Jonathan Isaac for rim protection now. Like it, it's scary to rely on Jonathan Isaac for anything because he's been, you know, it, it's been biting us in the ass for three and a half years now from a health perspective. So, yeah. Um, what do you think of the contract for Mo? And, and we don't know what's going on with that second year. Maybe it's team option or maybe some of it's not guaranteed. But I mean, it, it's for a backup center, $8 million fine. But for it to be Mo Wagner, that's where it's throwing people off.
1: Yeah, the assumption, uh, I think the, probably the safe assumption is that, that that second year is probably some funny money. <laughs> um, but yeah, $8 million as a backup center is probably fair. Uh, the question is really less about the contract and more about the decision to move forward with Mo as the, we'll, we'll call it, primary backup center. Um, but again, I, I think it almost feels like the, you know, Wendell's obviously head and shoulders above the other two, no question about that. But it almost feels like kind of the three-headed monster situation or three and a half if you're counting Jonathan Isaac where, you know, the Magic They have they've accumulated bodies and you're going to fill that 48 minutes from the five spot with some assemblage of those bodies, which, you know, again, remains to be seen the effectiveness of that this year.
0: Yeah, I think Mo being um, Franz's brother might have factored maybe 10 percent into this. Um, Look, this this front office values Mo, the player to pay him that. Because I bet other teams were offering somewhere close to that. I mean, I think New Orleans was rumored to him, but um like I value Mo higher than most Magic fans. Like I, I have more belief in him. Was it sketchy at some points last season? I mean, yeah, because I mean it's like you said, it, it might be backup center by committee because Gogo was getting some backup center minutes. And um, but I value Mo higher than a Mason Plumley, Drew Eubanks, Jock Landale, or even Thomas Bryant. Some might disagree but i think mo's a better player than all those guys mo's just not a defensive center that's that's the thing mo last season played 57 games started 18 of them uh averaged 19 and a half minutes per game 10.5 points per game as a backup center is nothing to shrug at 50 percent field goal shooting was his best as a magic player um 31.3 31.33 point percentage shooting is where the injuries and rust kind of hurt him. Like it's a far cry from the 37.2% from DP shot in those 11 games of the 2021 season when we first brought him in. Four and a half rebounds per contest. It's just not enough for that position or that amount of minutes. Um, one and a half assists per game, that's fine. Look compared to Goga, Mo is a better shooter, passer, fast break player, and just bring in an overall bench spark. I think Mo just brings that energy. Like, he he gets everybody up. And, you know, Goga, he's the better rebounder, blocker, and interior scorer, and he's three, year yo- three, uh, three years younger than Mo. So, um, I thought we did play some of our prettiest basketball of the season last season with Mo on the floor instead of Goga, and even at times Wendell Carter. Um, we also had some ugly games with Mo starting where – Whatever injuries were weighing on him, it, it hindered his play. And that's why you saw instances where Gogo was playing center and not Mo. So all that's factored in here with this decision to bring Mo back at, at that contract. So the best thing for Mo is he needs to stay healthy. Obviously, Franz needs to be healthy, too, when they when they play for Germany this summer. Um, kick ass at the FIBA World Cup. Use that momentum to springboard into this upcoming season, just like Mo did two years ago, coming off the Tokyo Olympics. And, you know, I will say with the December win streak that we had uh, this past season, like Wendell was hurt for that. Mo was the one starting. And so can Mo do it for 25 games as a starter? It is possible, I think, but he needs to just persevere through kind of those short-term isolated injuries that impacted him last season that's his next level of growth in my mind. Like he's 26, but I, I view him as a late bloomer and he's still getting better. So I don't know if you want to disagree on any of my Mo points, add any no, more I mean, I Mo think, points I th- on it.
1: No, I think that's a great uh, synopsis. And I correct my, my memory if I'm wrong here. Obviously, he started last season with the foot injury. Yeah, kept he, them out
0: of it kept them out of what preseason yeah. camp really.
1: And re- I believe what, at least at the start of the season, he was just atrocious shooting the basketball. Yeah. So that uh, I will go back and look at the month by month numbers on the three ball and maybe it got better, but you're, you're paying him the money. Not, you know, not only in part because of the familial relationship that, you know, he's the brother of the, the probably best player on the team as of today. Um, also bringing, you know, bringing the energy in practices and, and lifting the positivity of the team uh, without being probably an irritant to those people, which is a fine line to pull off. But I, I think he manages to do at least internally. Um, but to your point, he's not a defensive player. So the three balls got to go down and the health has to be there to allow him to play in the way that makes him the most effective. Yeah. And if he's nursing those nagging injuries, then uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be surprising to see Goga kind of, uh, you know, slide by him a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, he's, he's an intensity player. Like he is like a Daryl Armstrong intensity type of player where if he's healthy, he's pretty fucking good for what you get from him. And when you're being weighed down and hampered by injuries, it's tough to maintain that. Like it's, It's like the Marcus Smart type thing, where like if Marcus Smart's healthy, like he's fucking everywhere. But when he's not, like he's he's almost a negative on the floor. And so that's, you know, I'm using very extreme examples here, but that's kind of how I view Mo. And he's going to look good playing for Germany. He he, like he got hurt before Eurobasket last year, and not enough people saw Mo Wagner play. You know, play in the uh, pre qualifying. Uh, tokyo olympics tournament and then in the tokyo olympics tournament themselves like not enough people saw him play in those games and so um it's gonna be it, it's gonna open some magic fans eyes again when they watch him play for for germany to see again and get a good reminder that this guy's pretty freaking good off the bench and like he's not a defensive monster but to get over ten points per game from a backup big, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah. uh, before we get into Joe Ingles, like again, I've seen Magic and NBA fans kind of either snicker, or complain about the money we gave both Joe and Mo. And look, they're essentially eleven and eight million dollar one year deals, is how I'm viewing at them. So, they're very easy deals to trade for a team that doesn't have a lot of large contracts. Like, look. Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz, 17.6 and $17 million per season are again, our largest salary players stars in this league are making a 40, $50 million. And then some um, great role players make 20, $30 million. We're still under the salary cap. No one should be complaining about these money sums for two rotation guys. When if we're being quite honest now with how this move played out, we're either going for, a swing in 2024 free agency, which that list isn't that great for 2024 <laughs> no. free agents, or you're looking for that disgruntled star to trade for. Yeah. And these types of 10, 15 million dollar contracts add up for, for in a trade situation. So I, I don't want to hear about the contract numbers. Like it's fine. All right. Joe Ingles. Again, I'm on record last year of one and Joe I've wanted Joe since like his first year with the jazz. Like we're, we're actually in a much better spot with him now getting him now instead of last year, because he's at over a year and a half now between his ACL tear and now. So there's like a one and a half year gap. There's folks that say like, it can take like two years to fully get back from an ACL injury, but I think he's going to move better this upcoming season than he did last season with the bucks. I know he's 35. he will be 36 early on next season, but I because he's not, he's never, it was never a guy that depended a ton on his athleticism. Like, I think he's still going to move a, a lot better generically. Like, he's more than just a three point shooter. I think he's like a career 40% three point shooter, I believe, or at least like his best years in Utah were around there. But he's been running elite global pick and rolls for over a decade, be it when he was playing in Europe, be it for the Australian national team, which he's, he's like a, like, he, he can be on one leg and he still one just absolutely adores playing for Australia. Like he is a national team, passionate type player. So um we now have two shithousers on the team between Joe and, and Mo like there's, there's a big difference between being a piece of shit like Kyle Lowry and a shithouser and only the latter is what you want on your team. Like these guys are guys that they're good dudes overall. They're great to have on your team they just piss off other teams by legally getting under the skin of other players. So, um, and Joe is like an elite cursor too. Like I, I can't wait for some of this stuff to get picked up on mics or just fan courtside video recording some of this stuff he's talking about. Like it's, I, I love Joe Ingalls trash talking, but, um,
1: yeah, like they're, they're going to be fun. off the bench. That was a, that's a good word. Paul
0: shithousery is a soccer term that I'm carrying over here, yeah. but, um, like if, if you want, like, if you want an easy 20, 25 bucks for me, just someone create a t-shirt that's that has the faces or even like the outlines of the faces of Joe and Mo and just put shithousery underneath it. And like a a blue magic font, and I'll buy it. So, um, <laughs> but Joe and Cole Anthony could be fascinating together off the bench with their personalities. Um, yeah i I like i i'm big on this move i i have ingles sliding in at backup small forward unless Jed howard or caleb houston have something to say about it um i'm very happy for our our australian magic fans and there's many of them out there there's a reason why the utah jazz just went to complete shit and collapsed when jumping joe tore his acl or had started having acl injuries like he was the glue guy for, for the, those Quinn Snyder, Utah jazz teams. And once he went out, they literally collapsed and tore the team apart. Like he's a Euroleague champion. He thrived in Barcelona. Like he helped lead Australia to its first FIBA medal at the Tokyo Olympics, like, which was a huge deal in Australia. Like Australia was dying for like 15, 20 years for an Olympic medal. And they finally got one or any type of FIBA medal. And they got it the to Tokyo Olympics, that bronze. And, they might get another medal here in this FIBA World Cup coming up. I guess it, it just depends on how the how the knockout stage kind of pans out. But um, like like he's it, people focus on the shooting, but like his passing and just movement off the ball are just are just key to the success of of anywhere that he was, any type of program that he's been into. Like he spreads the floor, he's going to get a lot of open looks. I feel like um, at least early on, and people want to then key in on him then that's going to open up things for the other guys. But if his body holds up and both parties like each other and Joe isn't in a hurry to retire to Australia, like he could be on this team when he's 40. And I'm like, I'm that big of a fan of the guy. Um, there's what's two, your angles viewpoints?
1: Yeah, there's two concerns about the age, right? I mean, he's, he's getting older uh, and presumably slowing down. And obviously, uh, peak athleticism has never been what has been, you know, uh, has driven his game. Um, but I think the, the, there's two concerns with regard to his age. One is the physical performance. The other is, uh, he's coming in to be a locker room presence, but there is let's call it a culture gap and an age gap that has yeah. to be bridged in the locker room, uh, for him to form relationships with these guys who by and large are 10, 15 years younger than him. Um, so that they will then be receptive to the wisdom that he has to share. So I, I, He's, he's an agreeable personality, seems like a fun guy to be around. Don't, seem, don't see that being a huge issue. Um, and the cool thing is, kind of, sort of, uh, you know, there's, there's an overlap in terms of his skill set and Franz Wagner and, and any sort of uh, experience and wisdom and, you know, past situations that he can impart to kind of further unlock Franz, I think, has to be exciting too. Um, and the final part, honestly, is go back and look at his numbers in the playoffs this year. He was playing the best basketball of the season at the end of the season um, and in yeah. obviously meaningful playoff games. So uh, we'll take that as a good sign. Hope it carries forward into this season. And, and yeah, if, if all goes well this year, despite being in his mid to you know then late thirties, uh, it could be a long term arrangement for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, we, we have two vets on the team. It's, it's Joe Ingalls and then our second oldest guy on the team is a soon to be, or I think he might've just turned 29 year old Gary Harris. Like there's an age gap. So, um, I guess Joe Ingalls will be a real big tester of our new, uh, of our training facility and all of our uh, rehab tools. So hopefully the new equipment is, uh, works out well for him in that regard. Um, yeah, I mean look, like Joe's six eight, Franz Wagner is like six ten. Uh, but there's there's a lot Joe can teach Franz, especially when it comes to just handling pick and rolls and initiating them and stuff like that. Where
1: would you would you describe Joe Engels in the pick and roll game as slippery, Joe?
0: A little yeah. slippery. Yeah. yeah. He definitely is. Um I yeah. I wish we gave we gave him a better rim running presence to work with. But I mean, even so like guys like Mo and heck if Jonathan Isaac's healthy, like he might be a godsend for Isaac, you know, when it comes to just getting easy buckets, but we'll, we'll see how this plays out. So, and then we got the July 4th, Uh Bull got waived on the 4th of July. So happy independence day to Bull. Um, Tuma got, again, I thought Chuma got lucky last year with RJ Hampton on the way out. And then, Chuma's getting lucky here with bowl on the way out. Like I was fascinated by the uh, national outrage and even a little bit of magic outrage of us waving bowl. It's a little weird, but again, it just kind of proves that a lot of folks don't watch the magic or didn't really watch the magic closely. I personally would rather have bowl as a 14th man off our bench, but bowl can now be a team second unit guy. Like, the Phoenix Suns are heavily linked to him now, and they're desperate for bodies. And I would bet money now that Bol Bol will would, would be a more valuable son than Terrence Ross was. So um, Bol doesn't turn twenty four years old until November, and he basically just experienced his rookie season with us. Like there's there is room for growth for him. He played seventy games, thirty three starts last season. He's now played 123 career regular season games. So over half of his career games were last season with us. Uh, He averaged 21 and a half minutes per contest, 9.1 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 1.2 blocks, 1.0 assists per game, 1.2 or 1.6 turnovers. So those were high, but they did decrease later on in the season. Still a decent 54.6 field goal percentage. 26.5% 26 and a half percent from three that thing just cratered um as the season progressed and then about 76 percent from the charity stripe at one point bull was leading the league in field goal percentage and blocks per game like it was truly a bowler coaster experience like his his season splits truly are just all-time crazy like early on in the season we were heavily relying on him because we were decimated by injury he was our, our he was literally our iron man like he was he had been the only one who played all of the games until COVID got him in January and helped kind of derail the season basically from there. Like, but he's a very flawed player still. Like he gets beat on defense often. He doesn't lift his fucking arm to challenge shots. And I feel like if he did that, he would still be on this team. He was out of the rotation when we tried to make our playoff push. And I think that just says a lot, you know, when we try to get more serious, you know, bowl wasn't, getting those meaningful minutes um as the season progressed defenses were picking up on his dribbling tendencies and he just had trouble adjusting he was getting picked a lot um but he still had a pretty good season considering nothing was expected of him coming in and then you know like his november he started all 15 games in november he he averaged 14.2 points per game 8.3 rebounds 1.3 1.3 assists, 58.4% shooting from the field, 44.4% on threes. But we were losing a bunch. Like, at, you know, this is during our five and 20 stretch. As the season turns around in December, the numbers continuously drop from there. And I wish Bull good luck. We may, we may end up regretting this waving. Like, we may have honestly been better off letting Juma go than Bull. But um, yeah, it's, That's, that's the situation with our team now is we're trying to become a playing team and there's not much room for experimentation and mistakes that bowl was making. And I guess I'll leave it at that.
1: The interesting thing, again, to your point on, I, not just people not watching the magic, which is to be expected for basically the last 10 years, but I would say the way that the NBA is consumed, where there are so many people that are fans of the game and the league Uh, that don't actually watch any of the games and maybe consume it solely in video snippets and, you know, like, tweets, essentially. Uh, You're hearing a ton of people, a ton of chatter, prior to Bull really being heavily linked to Phoenix, where, like, as one of the best backup center options available... um, Well, first of all, he's probably not one of the best backup anything options available, but very clearly not a center. and, And probably effectively... A small forward like
0: he's a big wing
1: he's a big yeah, wing. like essentially you you're literally choosing between him and chuma not just contract wise but position wise too like they're on this roster probably both best suited to play the three or you know three or whatever yeah. um so yeah i mean it's been talked about to death that's a, a good stat polls there in terms of the stark contrast of uh, I mean, there was legitimate most improved player award chatter uh, in November uh, that, that quickly, quickly faded. <laughs> and for good reason, um, I bet a buck uh, on some, him. Some, some fun moments in between, at least.
0: I I bet, I bet a buck on him and Markel Foles for most improved player. <laughs> you and you, and you
1: spent a dollar on worse.
0: Yeah, I have honestly, yeah, like it was, it, it was pretty great odds at the time too. Like, I think I would have won like twenty some bucks if Bull had won at least for for the for the dollar. Like it might have been, actually, it might have been more than that. But yeah, it it was looking interesting for a while there, and then it just it, it just he couldn't maintain it. But good luck to Bull. And then we had some surprising front office news, uh, or fairly surprising anyway, on July fifth. Uh, Weltham Ham is retired. We park. Isn't as good of a nickname, but that's what I got right now. That now ascends as the Magic are promoting Anthony Parker to general manager, replacing longtime league executive John Hammond, who's decided to transition into a senior advisory role. So uh, Anthony Parker is now second in command behind Jeff Weltman. Hammond, who's going to be 69 years old soon, I believe, he's transitioning into the senior advisory role after... 32 years as an assistant coach and then a league executive he and jeff came to orlando in 2017 i had a feeling this was coming when we didn't get as many uh hammond interviews from him over the past year i'm gonna miss a lot of those interviews like he didn't bullshit or bore you to death with them like he he's gonna be around the team like you'll still see him a bunch but he just won't do the day-to-day stuff that anthony parker's kind of inheriting now um and again, Parker is going to be working with president of basketball operations Jeff Weltman, running the Magic's front office. Anthony Parker's done everything. That's kind of the interesting thing here is he's he's literally had basically almost every job. Like he was a player, then he was an assistant GM. Um, you know, within the decade, he went from a, an NBA player to a Magic scout under Hennigan, then Lakeland Magic G League executive. And now Orlando Magic GM and the Magic are also promoting associate general manager Pete D'Alessandro to executive vice president of basketball operations, which kind of scares me. (laughs) D'Alessandro is infamously a former GM of the Sacramento Kings from 2013 to 2015. And then he was a longtime executive uh, with the Warriors and the Denver Nuggets. He also joined the Magic in 2017 as an assistant GM. He's our cap guy. He's our capologist, and he helped come up with uh, the rules for the, uh, the NBA's bubble in 2020. Um, I'm nervous that he's now third in command, basically. He he really fucked over Sacramento. Like, Kings fans are still, like, traumatized by by
1: that stint. That was... I- I yep. haven't. I have a question on on the command, and and part of this is reading into things and in titles too. But uh, if you look at the war room videos, let's say just from the last two years specifically, yeah, I, I think you could kind of see Hammond his role getting diminished. Yeah, but Alessandro is pretty much running point in the war room, uh, and we both have concerns based on the King's history is it fair to give him the benefit of the doubt just based on what's, uh, let's, let's call it the history of King's ownership, meddling and interference for that time period now. Yeah. Um, and lessons we, learned, I guess, from past mistakes. Are we, are we correct to be a little wary of him? Cause to, in my eyes, uh, I, I, I him as number two in command with Anthony Parker underneath him. Um, it seems like he has a whole lot of latitude from, from Jeff, Jeff Weltman to uh, throw his weight around, I, I think.
0: I'm sure. I, look, I still think Parker's second in command because it, I think this is all leading to Anthony Parker is going to be the, the number one guy. when when Whenever Jeff Wilman is done, assuming things are going well with the franchise and people don't get fired or whatever, but um, I think the stage is set for Anthony Parker to be the number one guy. Um, and D'Alessandro would probably be two at that point. Like, I guess War Room stuff's different in many ways because you're still talking about cap stuff you're still talking because i mean yeah there were a bunch of rumors throughout the draft that we were looking into trades too so of course you get pete involved with a lot of that so um i hope he's not number two in command right now i i don't think so i think it's i, I think it's jeff uh anthony and pete one two three like that but um i mean that i mean look at that war room though like everybody's interacting a bunch like you have all the scouts in there you have a lot of the staffers in there, like even a guy like John Gabriel, is putting his input in there. Like that's kind of the type of role that that John Hammond is retiring to, and then even before Gabriel, it's it's the Pat Williams senior advisory role, basically. So I mean, that's we've seen it before, and it's a pretty it it's pretty cool that we're we're or at least pretty stable anyway. We'll see if it works out into a championship or long term success, but from a stability perspective, where we didn't have much uh, over the past decade. Uh, well, it's true. You know, we're promoting from within we are, we're, it seems like everybody's pretty pleased with folks that we've been hiring for the most part, except maybe from an athletic training uh, staff perspective, but from actual front office GM executive type perspective, like we've been promoting within, we haven't really been bringing in a lot of new guys for the most part. Um, I'm going to take that as a positive sign, I mean, you look at Parker and Matt Lloyd, they're the two guys who survived the Rob Hennigan era and both have thrived like Matt Lloyd left. He's now in the Jeff Weltman role, I think for, for Minnesota, for the Timberwolves. So, um, you know, Parker, he became a magic scout after retiring as a player following the 2012 season. So he's been with us for over a decade now and, he also played 16 games on that 99 2000 Magic Hard and Hustle team, so there's a there's a nice link that I like there. Um, Like, so Anthony Parker, he's really familiar with this franchise, be it good or bad. Like, he was also on that 2008 Toronto Raptors team that the Magic beat in the first round. Like, and we were there for those three home games that we won. <laughs> but, um, so again, continuity's kind of been a theme with this Jeff Waldman era, and you know. I don't think stability is a bad thing at the moment, especially since we've seen the chaos that reigns when there isn't stability. Um, I've been a big Anthony Parker fan since he was winning Euro league titles and MVPs at Maccabi Tel Aviv. Like he has really great interviews. He, and it's all setting up again for Parker eventually inherit the top role. I think from Weltman, if, if all goes well, and obviously we all hope it works out because if all works out, then we'll probably have an NBA championship. But I think Parker being a journeyman, and then having had such big roles within the G League, he might, you know, I think all that's very valuable. Like he might see more value with our second round picks now instead of us just selling them. <laughs> uh, maybe not, but um, and then maybe the Osceola Magic will be used more for player development than it has been. Um, but I mean, he's he won a championship with the with the Lakeland Magic, so I mean, it's it's all very good experience. Like he has been from the bottom rung up to where he is now to almost at the very top. And I'm a big Anthony Parker fan. I believe in the guy. Um, everybody loves his sister, Candace Parker. Like it's, um, it's great. I I think I'm hoping this works out and I, I have no complaints about this move.
1: No, I mean, it's again, coming out of the left after, you know, the Rob Hennigan tailspin, I guess, uh, it's nice to have for better or worse we'll call it uh, competent uh, executives uh, basketball front office people um stable front office uh people that are respected throughout the league and that kind of stability is now bearing fruit uh in that you know there's internal promotion and ascension which leads to more stability so hopefully that stability translates to on-court success over the next couple of years.
0: Um, Let's talk about some free agency trends I've noticed here this, uh, this free agency period. So the new CBA may have eliminated offer sheets for the most part, because, you know, Austin Reeves could have gotten almost a hundred million dollars, but the Spurs didn't offer to them and the Lakers kept them for a pretty respectable four years, 50 something million dollars. And then, Teams don't, do not want to be kept in a six-day moratorium limbo. like, And it, it feels like there's this kind of 30-team unofficial pact where teams are going to be kind of non-confrontational towards each other. It's a little annoying. Like Matisse Seibel and Paul Reed have been the only exceptions, it feels like, this summer. Um, Bill Simmons, I thought, made a good point on his pod where the NBA is basically in its own transfer portal now, portal now where... Extensions mean nothing. Dudes are signing these massive contracts and are then demanding a trade one to two years into these huge extension contracts, um, which I think is already slowly chipping away at, at NBA fandom in my eyes a little bit. We, we haven't seen like huge punishment for it yet, but I mean, this Lillard stuff's not helping, um, even though it sucks that Desmond Bain signed the extension to stay in Memphis, like he could be in a magic Jersey next year. Like that's where this stuff's leading to like Anthony Edwards, same boat. If he gets impatient with Minnesota, like everyone is signing this max money, but are still circumventing free agency via these kind of trade demands. Fred Van Vliet's kind of the one exception from this summer to, you know, with, with him going to Houston, but this, this new CBA just did nothing to, to cut this behavior down teams aren't really fighting back and I feel like we as fans are just losing in all this, but we'll see if teams hit a breaking point on these types of trade requests. Like Portland seems to be pushing back on the Lillard stuff, which is interesting. Cause I mean, Lillard's a, a legend, like he's, he's like a top three all time blazer there. So, um and then Jalen Brown will probably sign a max extension with Boston, but it hasn't happened yet. But I mean, every we everyone seems to know that he doesn't really want to stay in Boston, but he doesn't want to cough up that money either. Like, so that that's where there's kind of another test. There was like, he's probably going to get the max extension with Boston. And if he does, he's going to sign it, of course, but he could demand a trade within a year. So he's going to be another magic trade target over the next year or two. But, um,
1: it is interesting. I mean, from a personal perspective, if if you worked in a job with a guaranteed contract, you I mean, would you not sign for the most money that you could get guaranteed and yeah. then figure out a way to exert that power thereafter? I mean, from a human individual perspective, that makes the most sense. Will Will it have ramifications on fandom? It hasn't yet. If anything, it makes it more uh people love somebody to hate right (laughs) i guess there's there's more uh there's more villains there's more i haven't seen a lot of jersey burning lately although i'm sure that still exists but like uh the also too i i think that it's going to go both ways right there's uh if you're going to sign the extension to get the money then you can ask out uh, but there's probably going to be a lot more chicken playing and a lot less, uh, you know, succumbing to the demands of a star player. If the best package is kind of the, you know, poo-poo platter of uh, Caleb Martin or whoever it ends up being, like it just it doesn't make sense for a team to to trade a like all-time franchise leader for scraps, yeah, uh, just to accommodate somebody who wants to leave anyway. So that. That's a I think moving forward that's an interesting question that we'll have to monitor both from individual team perspectives but also what it means for the league overall in in terms of fan interest and uh, how everybody kind of engages moving forward. me me per I mean what' the last thing that we went through is dwight and presumably the next thing we'll go through is Paolo, hopefully not but, once somebody has uh given you their effort their energy the the fun moments like at a certain point they should be free to do what they want to do uh but the team should be free to not be beholden to send them to one destination if they're under contract so um uh, it'll be interesting to watch i think that's a great point
0: well and that's the thing. Is like it might be fun from a distance because it hasn't really happened to us like, <laughs> right. since Dwight. It's been it's been a while. You know, it's yeah. been it's been over a decade now, and we got lucky in that because he wanted to go to Brooklyn. Remember? Well, see, and then, even,
1: right? Even in that case, he he was trying to. He gave us options. Yeah. Yep. So,
0: but um, it's fun from a distance. But also, I I'm a loyalty guy. Like I love it when a guy stays with a franchise for 20 years. Like. Dirk and Duncan yep. did or whatever. And I thought Lillard would be the guy like, I want to see Giannis kumbo stay in Milwaukee. Like as much as I love him on the magic or whatever, like I want to see y- Yanni retire with the bucks. Like as much as I would, I think with Luka Doncic is different. I think Dallas is, a, is, is a very poorly run organization. And I think I want to see Doncic move out from there, but from like, there's exceptions to the rule and everything, but it, I wanted to see Lillard work it out, but there that ownership's in limbo. Like that team should have been sold like three years ago and it still hasn't. And I I don't know if they hired the right coach and then who knows what's going on with the front office or whatever. So I'm not going to hold this against Lillard, but, his agent's a prick, being like, "I'm doing everything to get you to just Miami, like that's it. Like, give him some options. Like, he, honestly, if you send him to Philly, I bet you Philly wins the title next season if 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 they get that trade done." Um, but I just don't want to see him in Miami. Um, <laughs> all right, so. Look, with our kind of lack of free agency moves, uh, you know, it looks like Waldman and Parker are looking at 2024 free agency. or trading for a disgruntled star now. Like we're we're trying, we're you know, we're talking about play in and playoffs, but it's all internal growth for the most part. To accomplish that. And this upcoming season is gonna be really, really hard to get into the playoffs. Like the East as a whole got better again. No one is tanking. I already mentioned this but no one's tanking because everyone views the 2024 draft class as bad. So we're just going to see how much we've internally improved. Like from a needs perspective, you know, we helped three point shooting a little bit. I mean, we need to up our three point shooting attempts and makes is bringing in the and Jed Howard enough for that. We're going to find out, you know, did Suggs and Franz and all these and Paolo and all these guys internally get better three point shooting wise. Hopefully that's going to help we didn't address our need for blocking rim running and rebounding in my eyes. Could a move still be done by dangling Chuma's expiring contract around somewhere? Maybe, but you know, that's like 5 million. There's only so much you can get for that. I don't think we're right now set up to finish top six in the East. Like it's going to take some insane internal improvement and injury luck, which we haven't had in the past. And it, you know, I, I wouldn't count on it again this season, but at least from a depth perspective, we're actually okay if we experience a bunch of injuries again. Um, the goal should be play-in, though. Like 7-10 through 10 seed I think is definitely achievable. But the East as a whole is going to be tougher. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. Um, I don't know any of your viewpoints on that, Penny.
1: Yeah, I mean, the from a fan perspective, the goal should be play-in playoffs. From a team perspective, in, in my eyes, I think – in terms of the no skipping steps mantra the the step this year is internal improvement that you're gonna see either we go from 34 to 44 wins which is like you know an external on paper improvement or we uh probably win 34 35 again but then we've done the then we have more uh you know uh what's the word I'm looking for here? We, we have more tape on everybody essentially, right? We've, we've done the diligence on everyone on our roster to know who's topped out, who's going to get better, who fits with who, like, ideally that happens in conjunction that we, we make those decisions and we learn that information while the team improves again to get to that 500 record, which is really the next thing that we're trying to achieve. Um, but it's possible that it it might be uh, kind of a run back of last year, with the knowledge of how to then take that that leap the following season in the win loss record.
0: Uh, I hope it's not thirty four wins again. It, it, it needs to be around five hundred. I feel like like it, it. I think we're capable of it. I think I think we can get there. But um, again, it's. It's it's going I think if
1: it's, if it's 34, 35, then, then you got to start talking about uh, Mosley again.
0: Yeah. Well, or, well, yes and no. Again, it get, it just depends on like, how does Cole Anthony handle being potentially six man again? Well, that's the other thing is you got these rookies now, right? Cause I have jet and black on as like third stringers, which that doesn't seem realistic based off of where they were drafted, but it's like, all right, who are you taking minutes from then? So yeah, that's why like there's going to be some tension here and that whole, that this magic kind of culture and kind of camaraderie is going to be tested pretty hard at various points. And it wouldn't shock me if we see some arguments here and there, which can be healthy when you've got ambitious youth like that, but you just can't let it go to go to hell. Like it did for like Houston, for instance, or something like that. So, yeah. um, but nor like, I, <clears throat> if you would have told me six months ago that they were, we were, we were going to do like another evaluation period this season, I probably wouldn't have been very happy. And I'm not exactly thrilled about it per se, but I kind of understand it now just because I think we're kind of waiting out like Milwaukee. We're waiting out to see uh, like, I don't know if Boston got better or not with the whole Porzingis stuff. And then assuming they keep Brown and and what, and whatnot, but like the, the teams at the top aren't as strong as they were last year. Like the East as a whole, I think, is stronger, but the teams at the very top, I don't think are are super strong. So I'm wondering too that there's this waiting period too, is like, is Milwaukee gonna keep this together? Cause if they were healthy, they should have been the ones in the finals. If Giannis was healthy in that first in that first round series with the Heat, they should have been playing the Nuggets in the finals. And I still think that's the team to beat in the East. But like Does Lillard end up on Philly or Miami? Like there's, there's this kind of aging out waiting period where most big title teams, like their best players are around like 27, 28 years old. And like our two best players are 21 and 20. So it's like Boston, it looked like for a while was going to be a team to that, that would skip that step. And they ended up not quite getting, getting there. They, they haven't won a title. They've made it to the finals and Eastern conference finals, but you know, now you got like Jalen Brown and Tatum at like around 26 years old now, I think. So, um, there's, cause the evaluating period, I thought when, cause again, we've had, you know, we had Weltman and, and Hammond and starting in the summer of 2017. Like I thought we waited too long after the 2019 loss to the Raptors. Like I thought we should have gotten rid of Fournier that summer. And we ended up getting basically nothing for him other than like bulls contract, basically. Um, <laughs> And then Terrence Ross, we should have, we should have shipped him out and we just didn't do it. And I, you know, I thought Vooch, even though he, he, he didn't do well against Gasol, I thought he did well enough, um, against their other bigs that he was going to figure it out. And he ended up figuring it out the year after that in in the bubble against the bucks, like he had a pretty great series against the bucks, but, and then Aaron Gordon was our best player in that 2019 Raptor series. And unfortunately, because of Kyle Lowry, we didn't get to see him in the 2020 playoffs, but, um, I'm just worried that this evaluation period is not going to yield much, <laughs> where we might end up waiting too long. And like Cole Anthony will walk for free instead of maybe trying to get anything for him if you trade him at the trade deadline if it doesn't work out. Or, you know, with Fultz, like we're trying, you know, I don't know if we're going to extend him in the fall, but.
1: If you don't, if, I, and he has yeah, an amazing I mean,
0: year, then you're really paying to keep faults. So,
1: um, you're playing I was with fire a bit there, it, but for sure, you're playing with fire a bit. But also, I, I, I'm uh, upon reflection, I think that it's healthier to temper some expectations. It is. this year, I, in I agree. knowing that the play in is, is a goal, but probably the bigger goal is to identify and kind of categorize what you have so that you can achieve the ultimate goal. And, and that might look like this year, uh, something very similar to last year.
0: You're right. No, you, you're, you're right, for sure. Um, All right, let's get let's talk Osceola Magic. So Dylan Murphy is the new head coach of the Osceola Magic. He's currently coaching our summer league team in Vegas. Um, he's been with the Magic for five seasons. The last three were on the bench as an assistant. Previously, he was an analytics guy. A decade ago, Murphy was writing tape breakdowns and doing like x's and o stuff at blogs and websites like posting and toasting which i briefly i do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a good time um i want to say that was like 2014 or something but um now he's a g league head coach and i believe murphy was in charge of challenges for us i i, I think he was so hopefully we we improve there um our hit rate with challenges wasn't the best um it was actually better probably last year, uh, the year before, not, not this past season, but um, any Murphy thoughts?
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good luck, Jim, Dylan. That's, that's all we'll say, man. I mean,
1: they, uh, they won a title with Stan Heath, so you don't have to be that great to, uh, to have success at the G league level. Right. I guess that's,
0: I guess that's fair. Sure. Um, all right. So uh, Jason Beatty switches from covering UCF for the Orlando Sentinel, taking over the magic beat. I've never met Jason, but his nights coverage was solid. Apparently, he's a Miami Heat fan, which isn't ideal. So just keep a professional man, and if you don't, Joel Glass is going to get you replaced quick. That's that's all I'll say from Magic PR perspective. So, um, I was a little bit surprised that uh, we didn't bring in somebody like we did Kobe Price last, uh, you know, a year ago or whatever. So, um, but I. I stopped my subscriptions of both the Athletic and the Sentinel um and maybe some folks will change my mind on that uh right now I you know I'll just I'm 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 good without it right now at the moment but um yeah I'll leave it at that I don't know any Sentinel or coverage thoughts Benny
1: uh i'll say from my ucf sources that uh he's uh, seems to be a, a good guy and well liked i can't speak to the reporting prowess so i'll be interested to follow along uh, i will say kobe i thought got better as the year went along in terms of more probing questions and such he did um, he did and then also started you know uh additional film clips and everything on twitter which is always nice so Uh, There's some shoes to step into. And then obviously the history, there's some bigger shoes to step into. We'll see. Uh, I myself also do not have, haven't had a a Sentinel subscription and have lapsed the athletics. So uh, hopefully there's content being pumped out that makes us want to support that journalism uh, in a, (laughs) in a better way than we do right now.
0: Yeah. I don't even know how I got this deal, but like a, a just over a year ago, I got the the digital Sentinel subscription for a dollar for a full year. I don't even know how I how I did it, but it was like ninety nine cents. So, um, but and I think <laughs> this is the this is how down I am on Sentinel coverage for the most part because corporate, you know, global big time corporations have have just ruined local media, local newspapers, or whatever. But I think they offered me like. Nine bucks for the
1: year, and I said no. So, but yeah, say so t- tell Jason that you're sorry you can't read his stuff. Yeah, you, I'm you sorry, get I that can't report on, you on Bowl Bowl winning most improved. <laughs> <laughs> used up all your budget.
0: All right. Uh, Shams charania I think he tweeted this out over a week ago, but he said the NBA Board of Governors are going to vote July 11th, so that would be tomorrow to approve two changes that would begin in the 2023 2024 season. First one is in-game penalties for flops resulting in technical foul free throws on a trial basis, which we, I think it's been going on in summer league, um, which yep. was funny. The one call that got called for for flopping didn't look like a flop really that much, but because the guy legitimately got hit in the face, but yeah. Um, and then the second one is a second coach's challenge awarded if the first challenge is successful. Both seem very promising. I'm a big thumbs up. Anything that schools uh, that that screws Kyle Lowry over, I'm happy about. Let's let's go. Uh, any thoughts on those?
1: Uh, both are great. The biggest thing is pace of play, right? And not yeah. slowing the game down. I we'll see if the headset for the refs turns into a thing for the real refs to maybe speed that up uh, for announcing decisions but they they got to pick it up man it's got to be streamlined
0: their, yeah. yeah like like secaucus needs to just come up with everything like i, I wouldn't even have the the guys on the, the actual riffs on the court decide honestly i'd be like just have have the guys in secaucus just decide um all right let's talk nba midseason tournament so it was officially unveiled in vegas on saturday so it is happening this season adam silver said this was 15 years in the making for him. He's been wanting a European style cup competition forever. I don't want to go too deep into it until the season schedule comes out in August, but, and that's because then we'll get an idea on rest and travel issues with some of this, but it's, it's group play right with this, with this cup um, you're using regular season games that are occurring Tuesdays and Fridays in November. Um, They won't play on election day. I think that's on November 7th, but every the other Tuesdays and Friday Fridays in the month of November, they're going to be playing these regular season games and all of them are going to count uh as as this cup in this cup format in this cup play So um they probably picked Fridays to avoid Thanksgiving so we're gonna get like a Black Friday uh and in- group cup play thing would be in- which will be interesting but um all this is going to then lead into single elimination quarterfinals and then December 7th and 9th, it's going to be neutral site games for the in Vegas for the semifinals and championship games for this NBA Cup. Um, of course, all in, all thirty NBA teams are participating in this cup. It's six groups total, three groups per conference. So you get three groups in the East, three groups in the West. There's five teams in each group. Every team will play four games. So you're playing each team in your group once. Two of those games are going to be away for you. The other two are going to be home games for you. So, again, you face each team in your group once. If you win your group, you move on to the quarterfinals, single elimination round. And then one wild card team from each conference gets in. So you're going to get four teams in the East and four teams in the West in the quarterfinals. Basically, you need to go three and one in group play to move on, is how I view it. Like, obviously, if you go four and zero undefeated, like you're, you're definitely in the quarterfinals. But I think if you go three and one in group play, if you don't win your group, then you might get that wild card spot to get in. So, three and one's the goal, two and two is not going to be good enough in my eyes. Um, they didn't show the drawing on TV, which was a huge missed opportunity. Um, and maybe something they can do next year, but because it would have been way better than the performance acts that they had. Um, did you watch this announcement at the NBA
1: con in uh in Vegas, Penny? I, I did not watch it live, I just read thereafter.
0: That's okay, you because there were some weird Jabberwockies and insert the sole stuff going on there that they really didn't need. But um, but teams were put in pots one through five based on last season's record, so the Magic were in East pot five. Because they had the thirteenth worst, re- or they had the thirteenth uh, record in the uh, in the East, so it was 13th, 14th, 15th fourteen, fifteenth. We're in pot five, but the Magic were drawn into East Group C with uh, the Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics, Chicago Bulls, and Toronto Raptors. What do you think of the trophy? I think the NBA Cup actually looks pretty good. Um, it was weird lighting though; like it, it, it's it's very dark, so you didn't get to see a lot of details of it. But I actually like the cup.
1: I, I mean, they've been on a pretty good run with all of the trophy redesigns lately. And I feel like the, the cup trophy is, uh, right there in the same vein. Pretty cool.
0: Um, I don't know how the schedule will work, uh, once teams get into the quarterfinals and semifinals, but only those two teams that are, that make it to the championship game will have played 32 games for the regular season. Um, And that game just it it, that that championship game will statistically not count as the regular season. All the other games, semifinals, quarterfinals, group games, all those count in the regular season. Um, The way I see it, and I understand it, is eighty. So when the NBA schedule comes out in August, instead of like an eighty-two definitive game schedule, there's going to be eighty games that are locked in, and then there's these two games that are going to be pending. So if you make it to the quarterfinals and semifinals, those are your two games. You're, you're, you're good. And obviously if you make it to the championship game, then you'll have played 83 games that season. But for the teams that don't make it to the, to the uh, knockout stage, or even if you get knocked out of the quarterfinals, then games on December 6th and December 8th are going to be, those games are going to be dedicated to those teams that aren't in the semifinals or the finals. Um, which that's going to lead to some interesting travel stuff. That's why I don't, I don't want to get too too deep into it, but um the prize pool is what's up for grabs basically. There's no there's nothing else up for grabs but but money for the players. Um players on winning teams uh players on the winning team in the championship are going to make $500,000 each. Um players on the losing team in the championship are going to get 200,000 each players on losing teams in the semifinals are going to get a 100,000 each and then players on losing teams in the quarterfinals are going to make $50,000 each. For a guy like Kevon Harris or even Goga Vataze, that that's a lot of money. Like if you oh, yeah. can win $500,000, like I think that's more I think that's more than what Kevon would make in a season. And then Goga, who's making two like 500,000 is a lot. So um yep. I've shared my views before in the past on, on a cup. I've always wanted some type of cup format, but the NBA regular season I thought should have just been cut down from 82 to 66 games, and then you can have whatever cup format you want, but it would truly then be its own separate entity instead of kind of marrying the regular season with, with this cup format. Creating a tournament just to make the NBA regular season more meaningful in November and December is a little bit of a waste in my eyes, but Um, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm still going to enjoy this. And especially if the magic actually do well in this and like make it to the quarterfinals, we're all going to be into this. Like people that say they're not into it are the ones that bitch about the regular season anyway. So like, you're never just, you're just never going to appease those folks. But, um, I'll be surprised if this cup format doesn't get changed down the road, but for now it is what it is. Um, I personally think there should be a trophy for having the best record in the regular season, if you want to raise the regular season's value, um, kind of like how we have it with MLS and, and other leagues around the world, but um, you know, maybe for this NBA cup, they, they could have even put a guaranteed playoff spot up for grabs as a prize. Um, I'm not opposed to offering up a guaranteed playoff spot to the winner of this cup, but you know, right now it's only money up for grabs and we're going to see how this goes, but it's all, you know, an attempt to compete against football and it, it, may not work it may work a tiny bit it may be a complete success we're going to find out but people that were skeptical about the play in they love the play in now so um i don't know if this will be as definitive or not but uh, you know i'm willing to give it a shot and like i said i'm going to be into it i i'm not a person that is uh apathetic to the regular season like i care about the regular season i just think it's too long but i still care about it um thoughts on the cup and or anything i said benny
1: Yeah, the the motivation is clear, right? It's to place more of an importance on the regular season, and this is how they've decided to do it. Uh, Can you imagine back before they had Computer Matrix scheduling, the the NBA schedule maker trying to to make this work for 30 different teams and then still leaving uh, two games open to fill it at a later date and trying to work around all of the Janet Jackson concerts that come through, like, so... Uh, that's a tip of the hat to modern technology that they can pull that off now. Um, my question, look, I, I'll be into it too. We'll see who player wise and team wise gets into it. Um, but you can, I mean you're not going to be able, it's not going to be like, uh, for instance, open cut, you know, like, early rounds of open cup and soccer or something where you're running like the B squad out there. It's no, no, they're they're all playing Regular season game. Um, They're all playing. Yeah. So like
0: silver is going to find the shit out of teams that rest dudes. I'm I'm hundred percent certain on that.
1: It remains to be seen how it will go. My question is, and I'm not smart enough to know the answer and haven't done the research, but the WNBA has been doing the commissioner's cup the last two years. Has there been any appreciable difference for those games, both in terms of, Uh, you know, attendance, which the NBA doesn't have a huge attendance problem, but in terms of TV viewership, is there a bump for a commissioner's cup game as opposed to a regular Minnesota Lynx game, you know? Um, So we'll see what happens in terms of viewership this year. I'm sure there will be a ton of tweaks. Um, And at the end of the day, it'll be fun for the four teams that go to Vegas, right? Like you just saw the other night, uh stupid summer league uh bullshit ending for jabari smith and they're running around like they just knocked a team out of the first round of the playoffs. So like once you're out there, you're you're gonna feel the competitive emotion. Uh and I'm sure we'll get some high quality moments out of it along the way too.
0: Yeah. I it's I think it's gonna be intriguing. Look the magic that that grouping isn't terrible for them. It, so it's, it's really not, not a group
1: of death. It is
0: <laughs> well, hey, a group of death is competitive. A group of death, technically, you could see any team getting out of there. Honestly, I can see any team getting out of this group. So, it, it this might end up being the group of death, right. but from like, I, I think it's a group that we could go three and one in. I, I I do. Um, and I think somebody. I'm sorry, I don't know who tweeted it out, but I think uh, from the out of those teams that are in our group, we went eight and six last season against those teams. So um not a bad, not a bad history, but all right, let's get to this last topic. It's been a long pod. I know we've had a lot to get through though, because a lot's happened, surprisingly, over the past two weeks. So lastly, Saturday night, the Magic played their first Vegas summer league game. We lost to the Detroit Pistons 89-78. We're not going to learn a lot from these games, good or bad, honestly. Like, that game overall was just not fun to watch. Um, Dylan Murphy started DJ Wilson at center, Caleb Houston at power forward, Jet Howard at small forward, Kevon Harris at shooting guard, and Anthony Black at point guard. I thought for Detroit, James Wiseman and Jalen Duren would cause us paint problems. They settled for a lot of outside shots in the first half, which is why we kept it nice and competitive. And then the second half especially in the third quarter, like Wiseman and and Duran started kind of attacking the paint, especially Wiseman. Both of those guys had convincing double doubles. Jed Howard, he hit two nice threes in the first quarter and then had trouble the rest of the game. He had eight points on three of 13 shooting. My concerns with him remain. It's, it's a little weird when I watch him and I don't know if you agree or disagree, but he's quick when he's creating his own three, like he's doing these like dribble step, pull up threes that look fine. But then he just looks slower and a little clumsy everywhere else, be it even off ball or especially like on the defensive end. I know he had three steals, but like, again, it's summer league. Like I, I I'll be more impressed if he, when he does this when games matter, but I don't know what's your jet Howard viewpoint. Did it change um, anything or
1: no, I mean, I, I was not overly impressed or, or generally whelmed in any way. Um The, the pounding of the ball, like in the regular season, he probably won't be in that role at all to even have the opportunity to do that. But it, it was not impressive. Um, well, I, I'm going to say it. I'm, I'm low on him, uh, but I know nothing. So, uh, <laughs> and also, as you know, I, I don't put a ton of, for, for both rookies, I don't put a ton of stock into summer league at all. No, the biggest litmus test is the, what I like to call the, the Reese gains test, which is, do you look like you're pooping your pants on the floor <laughs> yeah. or not? right? Like you got to, I want to see not so much fear and one or two flashes of potential and that you have a general grasp of the situation. And then I call that a success for moving forward. So, so, so far he's passing that test, but I haven't seen anything that makes me super excited for the regular season yet.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, Caleb Houston, he got the first six points in the game by hitting those, those two triples, but then you know, he ended up finishing with with 12 points on 4 of 12 shooting. He ended up being 4 of 10 on threes, which that's fine. 40% is fine. He's mostly spotting up. You know, I... He tried to dribble a little bit, and he, he didn't get that far, so that has me a little bit concerned from a development perspective. Um, It was just one game, though, and against Summer League, I I still view Caleb Houston as a better player overall than what Jed Howard is, Um, but there's you know, he's, he's going to be looking over his shoulder. Um, Kevon Harris, like he kicked ass from Minnesota last year at, at summer league. I think it was Minnesota, but they, you know he was great again in this game, 21 points, eight of 13 shooting scared as late with the cramp. I thought he like hyper extended his knee and I was like, Oh Christ. But it looked, it was a cramp. Uh, Harris was cleaning up a lot of messes. That's why he had six rebounds and he might be too good for summer league. And, he honestly, like if he keeps putting up stuff like this, like we may not even be, even be able to hold on to him as a two way guy. Like, his, he's he's good, man. Like, I, I, I would be, I wouldn't mind if we had to wave Chuma just to keep Keevon on the main roster. Like, I would do it. Like, I'm a big Keevon guy. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but
1: yeah, I mean, he's he's showing a lot of stuff and he, uh, definitely, you know, displayed his merit last year. We, remember him locking down in the fourth quarter and one of the Boston wins on the road. Like there's, there's stuff there inside of him for sure. Uh,
0: Anthony black. Uh, he had a really good fourth quarter. He finished with 17 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals. He had seven turnovers in the game though. Um, seven to 10 shooting. He banked in that and one three in the fourth, um, his shot outside of 15 feet is concerning like he showed off the handles though and he had that really nice highlight where he's just doing like a little dribbling drill and he pulls up and make that mid-range jumper probably from like 17 18 feet i'll give him i'll give him that it was outside 15 but um he showed off the handles and then he he's not shy to take a mid-range pull-up shot kind of like markel but if you know that three did not look pretty um he took two of them i think the first one was almost an air ball or essentially an air ball. And then he banked in that, that, that and one three pointer um, look fairly composed out there. He, he did get in trouble though, when he either was trying to rush himself to, to lead a comeback or like Detroit turned up the defense a few times and they, they got him pretty good. Um, he, he looks so young, man, that kid, I don't think that kid's had a, has even had to shave yet. That's a, you know, that's how young he looks, but um. Yeah, I don't know. What are your Anthony Black thoughts? Like, I, Magic fans were really hyping it up the performance, and I'm just like, you, you got to ease up a bit. Like he he looked okay. He he, was, he looked okay.
1: It was funny to me the Twitter account did the uh, Rocket Power cartoon uh, for, <laughs> for Summer League, which he has the hair for it. But you're talking about the the Bankton threes. Do you remember the Rocket Power episode where they're trying to land the trick, and the only way they can land it is when somebody's mowing the lawn next door and like the tennis ball hits their board for them. To yeah. It. I remember so, that. Like, that's, I... that's we're probably not going to get, uh, maybe that's the trick is he's got to get knocked into alignment on the uh, threes. And he had the other little and one banker too, uh, that put everything together, which that one was actually really good body control and a, and a nice finish. Uh, again, overall didn't see anything disqualifying, which is good thought there were flashes there of him kind of using tempo, uh, being aware of his body, both, you know, length and size to kind of manipulate the defense a little bit or get where he wants to go. Wasn't a great performance. Wasn't a bad performance. Um, but thought there were enough positive things there to draw on moving forward for, you know, a first summer league game for a a kid that's literally 12 years old. So.
0: Yeah, look, there's four more games to come. Um, I hope they play all of them I, and it'd be nice to mix up different roles. Like I'd like to see black try and play as a small forward. I'd like to see Jed Howard play three positions and see how that works out for him. Like they need to play all the games. I, I've seen some magic fans are like, Oh, they only need to play like another game. No, they need to play a lot. They, they need to play all of them. Um, I, I, you know i saw the i saw the tweets that are like uh anthony black is magic johnson or he's penny hardaway or he's sean livingston or like you know markel fultz you know pack your bags and i'm just just like pump the fucking brakes man like it's it's a summer league game yeah he went up against assar thompson and he looked okay most of the good stuff he did wasn't against assar though so um but it was um it was fine it was good performance just relax um after all the social media hype, like I feel bad for Filipinos because Kai Soto got a DNP in this game. He must've looked bad in practices to have not played that first game. He's probably going to play in at least two of these remaining games, if not more, hopefully for his sake. Um, it's, it is nice to see a bunch of magic players that's in Vegas. You know, you had just that court site for this game, you know, it was Paolo Cole, the Wagner brothers, Suggs, Goga, um, Others will be in and out during the week. So if you didn't see him in that game, maybe you'll see him later on in the week. Um, Any other final summer league thoughts? Uh, Do we talk about Victor Wimbanyama looking like Sean Bradley a little bit in in a concerning manner? Um, No, (laughs) I Uh, mean, he he
1: had a good game too, and now he's shut down. So they, they saw what they needed to see that. It's going to be fun and scary for him. uh, The enormity of the pressure on his shoulders for, you know, to perform night in and night out.
0: are we ever going to go to Vegas summer league?
1: Maybe I, I have never been to Vegas. So uh, I, we, I yeah, we like, got to do that. Uh, well, yeah. maybe we can go for this NBA cup. When we're in the finals. Yeah. I'd probably rather be there in December than uh, July. I would be curious to see what the weather is like in Vegas in December that
0: I'm sure you, it's definitely cold at night. I don't know during the day, but at night, like you probably need Well, I need a jacket. You'd still be in a t-shirt because you love 60 degree weather. But, um, yeah. Uh, well is going to be fine. I'm still disappointed he's not playing for France in the FIBA World Cup. Like I, I thought that would, you know, he he ended up he needed this crash course for summer league, and now they're going to prep his him him and his body and everything for for preseason coming up with the Spurs. But um, you know, and it's cool that Popovich signed that five year contract extension or whatever. So that's awesome. If you love what you do, then why would you stop? So um, yeah. Yeah, that'll do it for the pod. Like we've been going on for about ninety minutes. Uh, Penny, any thoughts as we get out of here? Um, are, do you have a Threads account yet, or will you write now Twitter
1: till it burns? I I have a Threads account with no activity. Same name. Um, we'll see what happens.
0: I did not know that. Yeah, I, I'm staying away from Threads for now because Zuckerberg and and Musk both suck. So why would I? invite more of that if i can avoid it for now although instagram is annoying because we're getting all you get all these thread uh threads notifications of like this account open a threads account whatever and i'm just like uh i i don't care for that but all right that'll do it for the episode if you listen to the full 90 minutes we thank you very much for your time subscriptions high ratings positive comments all help this podcast ranking immensely tweet us any of your questions and feedback or hit up spencer on threads penny what's your twitter handle <laughs>
1: At Spencer Strode.
0: No C's, just S's. And I am at Papa Giorgio MBO. And with that, take care. Let's go magic.